What does it mean to pray? To many, it means having a conversation with a supernatural being, a being powerful enough to change things in the world and yet still personal enough to listen to you. That conversation can take many forms, expressing thanks, asking for help, participating in a time-honored ritual. The conversation can be extraordinarily one-sided, and yet there is the expectation that somehow, somewhere, there will be a response. To many, prayer necessarily involves a supernatural God. But does prayer have to mean this? Now, if I thought it did, my sermon would be quite brief. And I know that for many of you, your attention to my sermon would be even briefer. I know from the conversations I've already had that there are some here who wince at the notion of prayer precisely because of its traditional connotations. And I hope today that we can begin to move past that narrow view of this particular piece of religious language. My intention today is to let you know what I mean when I use the word prayer and to challenge you in some way to claim that word as something that fits within your own view of the world, be your theology theist or atheist or committed agnostic, mystic or naturalist, Buddhist or Christian or Jewish or pagan or, well, none of the above. I have long since reconciled a prayer life with a theology that does not include a supernatural God. And while I'm comfortable using the word God to refer to forces within our natural world, I don't think that even that much is necessary for prayer. What then is? Barbara Merritt gives us one interpretation, one that is certainly compatible with a more traditional sense of theism, that prayer is focusing our attention on love and trust. As she puts it, trusting both what is out there and what is inside. Now, in this case, the limitations of the spoken word become apparent, for in her meditation, Merritt puts both terms out there and inside in quotation marks, letting us know that the dichotomy is a false one. That what might be thought of as a power outside of us might well be the power inside of us, after all. Prayer, then, can be trusting that, trusting what is within us, and speaking to that place, that still, small voice within us that gives us the strength to carry on. Prayer can be nurturing a sense of connectedness with all of being that lets us know that we can take the next step in our journey. Prayer can be a way for us to let go a little bit, to free ourselves of the heavy responsibility we feel for fixing all that is broken around us. It can be the practice of allowing ourselves to be held by a loving universe as we calm and center ourselves. And while merit allows for the possibility that there is a power greater than we are in this universe, she doesn't insist that it's a supernatural power. In fact, she interprets this power simply as love. 
Douglas Wood, in his beautiful children's book, gives us another view of prayer. Each living thing gives its life to the beauty of all life, and that gift is its prayer, Wood writes in telling the story of a grandfather's lessons to a young boy about prayer. In deep conversations during long walks in the woods, the boy in Wood's book learns from his granddad that nature is full of the prayers of the earth. He learns that prayer unites us all with the sacred beauty of being. He learns that he is connected to the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part, and that those connections are greater than any individual or any moment, great enough to take on unbelievable burdens or to transcend the pain of grief. To Douglas Wood, prayer is an extension of being. It is what we are doing in living our lives, just as trees grow towards the sun and streams dance around rocks and flowers release their scent into the air to attract the insects that will pollinate them. And nowhere in that notion of prayer is a supernatural God. My own relationship with prayer changed dramatically a few years ago. While some of you might have read this story in my ministerial packet last spring, please allow me to share it with those of you who did not. In 2004, I spent 16 weeks working as a hospital chaplain. That time was the most intense and formative period I have experienced as a minister. In the hospital, I learned to summon the strength to be present in moments of intense pain and grief, to find ways of renewing my own spirit when I thought it was impossible to have the strength to respond to even one more request for my ministry, and to put my own theology aside when it seemed like it was interfering with my ability to listen to someone else. I also learned a lot about prayer. One of the hardest aspects of the chaplaincy program was being asked by patients and their family members to pray for and with them. It wasn't the prayer itself that made me uncomfortable. Rather, it was the act of praying out loud for someone, for something. The act of asking for intercession in a sick person's life. I struggled with this. Even the ability to put my beliefs about God and prayer on the shelf in order to care for people who needed me didn't help much. I struggled, but I prayed dozens of times a day sometimes. I prayed the prayers that people wanted to have said in a language that I could feel comfortable with. But something just didn't seem right. I was still asking for things. And then I met John. John's nurse, without giving me any further details, had suggested to me that though she wasn't sure if he'd be willing, she thought perhaps he could use to talk to a chaplain. Having learned to listen to recommendations like this, I entered his room and introduced myself. I wasn't sure what was going on or what I would be able to do. John, not his real name, was a patient in his 60s who had a progressive disease that was making it harder and harder for him to move and function normally. He was at a point where it was becoming difficult to swallow food, making it probable that he would need a tube inserted into his stomach 
at least temporarily, for feeding purposes. John, I learned, had just moved to North Carolina from the Midwest, and he had counted on being able to help support his daughter and young grandson in their life there. When I met John, he was absolutely despondent. He wasn't quite sure if he wanted to live. He was struggling with the decision over the feeding tube. He was, however, willing to talk, so we did. We talked about his family, about the grief and guilt he still harbored from his mother's death years earlier. We talked about his illness and his reluctance to ask his daughter to take care of him. We marveled at the fact that a good friend of mine works in the small town in rural Wisconsin where he was from. We talked about his own religious beliefs and the fact that he sometimes questioned the existence of a God who could possibly forgive him for all the things he felt he had done wrong. And then he asked me to pray. So I did. I prayed that he be surrounded by unconditional love. I prayed that he feel strength and comfort, that he make peace in the relationships he was worrying himself about with his deceased mother, with his living daughter, with himself. And after I finished, a broad smile made its way across his face, and his eyes lit up with gratitude. He thanked me out loud, and I left, promising to stop back by the next day. When I did that, I found a very different man than the one I had seen just 24 hours before. John told me that my visit had changed his entire outlook on life that he believed that God had sent me to him in his time of great despair. He told me that he had already discussed his treatment plan with his daughter and that they had agreed that he would have the tube put in. He not only wanted to live, he saw in his life some of the possibility that existed before his diagnosis, the possibility that he could contribute to the lives of his daughter and his grandson and not be a burden on them the possibility that he could love and be loved, the possibility that someone needed him or wanted him to be there. Now, maybe it was just a good night's sleep that he needed. Perhaps it was just a little bit of time to think it over. I prefer to think that what he needed was prayer. Now, I'm not going to claim that an intervening God somehow came in overnight and changed his life nor am I certainly going to take credit for doing what any person willing to be present with John could not have done. But it occurred to me in that moment that as I was praying with my words, John was praying with his ears. He was listening. And in receiving the prayer I had offered to him, he understood that I had been there with him, that we were in relationship at that moment. He understood his connection to his daughter and his grandson and the connection that death could not break between him and his mother. He was praying with his ears, and I was answering him. My visits with John changed my outlook on prayer for my entire time in the hospital. No longer was I petitioning on behalf of patients and their families to a supernatural God whom I did not believe in. Instead, I was talking directly to the patients and family members themselves, showing them that someone cared enough to listen to them, 
giving them strength to face their illness or injury or the illness or death of their loved one. I was no longer, in fact, the one that was praying at all. They were. I was just the one who was speaking. For years, I have made prayer a part of my own spiritual practice. As regularly as I am able, I set aside time to sit in what I call contemplative prayer. In this time, I think about all of the relationships I have with others, those close to me, those I serve, relationship with those with whom I know are going through tough times, and with those far away whom I will likely never meet. I think about my connections to the world around me. I focus attention on where those relationships are broken. I think about how I am living my life in relationship to others, and sometimes, well, often, how I might do that better. If this doesn't sound to you like a traditional prayer practice, it's probably because it isn't. I have come to believe in prayer not as requests from some person in the sky, but rather prayers that express intentions and connections to the universe. This is in keeping with my view of God as the potential bound in relationships. It is with this belief that I develop this prayer practice, centering and calming myself each day with thoughts of my connections to other beings. My morning prayers are silent, not spoken, and they are intentions, not requests. When I pray, I am talking to myself. I am reminding myself of the relationships I am a part of. I'm expressing my intention to live in right relationship with an ever-widening circle of being. I'm reminding myself of my connection to something greater than I am. And that might be the closest I come to a traditional understanding of prayer as something directed towards God. I believe, you see, that prayer requires of us an understanding that we are as individuals, not the ultimate things in the universe. We are not the pinnacle of all being. No individual possesses everything it needs for life. Whether you choose to call that which is greater than you are God, or spirit of life, or the interdependent web of existence, or the power of human beings in relationship with one another, I believe that we all can benefit from recognizing that we, alone, are not all there is to life and living. Human beings need relationships in order to survive. This is a physical fact. Even those who live by themselves, isolated from human community, need to be in relationship with the earth and its cycles, with the sun and the rain, with the plants and the animals in order to live but it's also an emotional, psychological, and spiritual reality. Whether our need for relationships is an expression of the connections of our soul, the actualization of our evolutionary potential, or the result of complex biochemical pathways, it exists. And so we can't live in a vacuum. We must recognize the connection to other beings with whom we share a universe we must at some point recognize our dependence, our interdependence on all that is around us. And once we've recognized this dependence, 
we can learn to trust. And in trusting, perhaps, we can pray. W.E.B. Du Bois is quoted in our hymnal as having written that the prayer of our souls is a petition for persistence, not for the one good deed or single thought, but deed on deed and thought on thought, until day calling unto day shall make a life worth living. Our being calls out for connection, for persistence in the relationships we spend time building, for building upon what others have created, for a life worth living. Our being calls out for recognition of our presence, for gratitude for each new morning, for an acknowledgement that we have meant something to others. Douglas Wood writes that each living thing gives its life to the beauty of all life, and that gift is its prayer. Like the tree reaching for the sun, like the waters splashing their way to the sea, like the bird greeting the dawn with a song, our being calls out for prayer. May it be so.